47, Genesis chapter 47, we're going back to the story of Joseph this morning, Genesis chapter 47 and verse number 13. The title of the message this morning is, What is Needed to Save Much People Alive? What is needed to save much people alive? Genesis chapter 47 and verse number 13. And it says, And there was no bread in all the land. For the famine was very sore, so that the land of Egypt and all the land of Canaan fainted by reason of the famine. Consider that thought again. There was no bread in all the land. There was no bread in all the land. Now, I've, I've grown up in Canada, and I can't remember a day where there wasn't food in a fridge, food in a cupboard, food on a table. I don't think I've ever really comprehended the importance of food. But you start going days and weeks with an empty cupboard and an empty fridge, life will become very, very desperate. And that's what we have here. There was no bread in all the land. The famine was very sore. The people fainted by reason of the famine. They started getting desperate. In verse 14, And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan for the corn which they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. Remember, God had revealed to Pharaoh that there was going to be seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. That's the, that's the, um, that's the dream that God gave to Pharaoh and Joseph was the man that God used to interpret the dream. And then Joseph was promoted to prepare for this famine. And so for seven years, they had been collecting and gathering and stewarding their resources because they knew the famine was coming. And so people would bring their money and they would buy food. But then they ran out of food. Verse number 15. And when money failed in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came unto Joseph and said, Give us bread, for why should we die in thy presence? It was that desperate. We have no money, but you have the food. Give us bread. Verse 16. And Joseph said, Give your cattle, and I will give you for your cattle if money fail. 
And they brought their cattle unto Joseph. And Joseph gave them bread in exchange for horses and for the flocks and for the cattle of the herds and for the asses. And he fed them with bread for all their cattle for that year. Now it's hard for us to relate to cattle. No one in this room has any cattle. At least I hope you don't because you live in the city. None of us in here have a horse. Miss Charlene told me on the way here she loved horses as a young girl and as a teenager she worked on a ranch. She loved horses. But nobody here has a horse. I, the, the only thing I can equate this to is maybe our vehicles. Can you imagine you got so hungry that you turned your vehicle in for food? You think, my vehicle is important. It's not that important if you're starving to death, is it? And they exchanged their, they exchanged their horses, their flocks, their cattle, their herds, so that they could be fed with some bread. Verse 18, And when that year was ended, they came unto him the second year and said unto him, We will not hide it from my Lord, how that our money is spent. My Lord also hath our herds of cattle. There is not aught left in the sight of my Lord, but our bodies and our lands. All we have left is our own persons, and our homes and our lands, that's all we have left. Wherefore shall we die before thine eyes, both we and our land, by us and our land for bread? And we and our land will be servants unto Pharaoh and give us seed that we may live. We don't even have seed to plant our fields so that we may live and not die, that the land be not desolate. And Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, for the Egyptians sold every man his field, because the famine prevailed over them. So the land became Pharaoh's. And as for the people, he removed them to cities from one end of the borders of Egypt, even to the other end thereof. Verse 23, And Joseph said unto the people, Behold, I have bought you this day and your land for Pharaoh. Lo, here is seed for you, and ye shall sow the land. They couldn't have perpetuating crops unless they had some seed. In verse 24, And it shall come to pass in the increase that ye shall give the fifth part unto Pharaoh, and four parts shall be your own for seed of the field and for, for your food and for them of your households and, and for food for your little ones. And they said, Thou hast saved our lives. Let us find grace in the sight of my Lord and we will be Pharaoh's servants. They said to Joseph, Thou hast saved our lives. This was the great purpose for Joseph's life. And near the end of his life, or after Jacob died and his brothers were 
filled again with guilt and fear. They came to, they came to Joseph again and asked for his forgiveness. And Joseph said, you meant it unto evil. When you made those decisions to hate me and to sell me as a slave and to lie about my dad, to tell my dad that, that I died, you meant those things unto evil, but God meant it unto good to save much people alive. This was Joseph's great purpose in life. The world surrounding Egypt was in dire straits. When there is no food, nothing else matters. Practically speaking, without food, we cannot survive. Food is more important than money, than cattle, than freedom, than the security of your own land. Now, famines don't happen by accident. Nothing in nature happens by accident. Nature follows God's created natural laws. And if nature behaves erratically, it does so by God's command. Jesus is the creator and sustainer of the universe. Let's just look with me at John chapter number 1. John chapter number 1 and verse 1. We live in a secular society and a worldview without God believes, you know, everything happens outside of the supernatural. But our existence is the product of the supernatural. Just because we're born and we live and, and um, you can't see God, it doesn't mean that you can't see His fingerprint on everything in this universe. This famine that afflicted Egypt and Canaan, God was well aware of it. He caused it. Saint, uh, in, in, in John chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Look at Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15. The Bible reads, speaking of Jesus, it says, Who is the image of the invisible God? the firstborn of every creature. For by Him, by Jesus, were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible. There is so much in this created universe that we can't see. But Jesus created it all. Whether there be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him. And He is before all things. And by Him, all things consist. All things are held together by the powerful hand of Jesus Christ. Look at Hebrews chapter number 1. 
Hebrews chapter number 1. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his persons and upholding all things by the word of his power. He upholds all things by the word of his power. So this famine did not happen outside of the control of God. God had a purpose for this famine. We don't know all of God's purposes. But by reading the Bible, often famines were a judgment upon sinful people. In our, in our story in Genesis chapter 47, approximately nine years earlier, God warned Pharaoh of the coming famine in a dream. And God used Joseph to interpret the dream and then to prepare Egypt for survival during the famine. Joseph had worked for nine years preparing for survival during this God-ordered natural disaster. And God used Joseph to save much people alive. Spiritually speaking, humanity needs Jesus Christ, the bread of life, more than anything else. Their eternal survival depends on a relationship with Jesus Christ. Look at John chapter number 6. John chapter 6. I'm excited about the church being involved in reaching out to people around them this Christmas season. Because the greatest need of the people around us isn't food. The greatest need isn't affordable housing in Vancouver. Their greatest need isn't um, a pension plan. Their greatest need isn't to lower greenhouse gases. That's not their greatest need. Their greatest need isn't to recycle. Their greatest need is Jesus Christ. Folks, we can have everything this world has to offer. But if we do not have... Jesus Christ, we will die and spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. We see here in John chapter number 6 and verse 33, For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. You know, that's a great Christmas verse. Jesus came down from heaven to give life 
unto the world. Verse 34, Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. And he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. The Jews now will raise him up at the last day. Jesus is the bread of life. And everyone that seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. You see, the Bible reveals that when we were created, we were created in the image of an eternal God. That means we will live forever. That this life is just, is just a blip on a screen of eternity. And what our relationship with God is paramount. It's more important than our groceries this week. It's more important than our health next year because we are eternal souls. And the Bible says God is not willing that any perish, that any spend eternity without Him, but that all should come to repentance. The greatest need of humanity is Jesus Christ. Jesus came with good news. That's what the gospel means. Good news. What is the good news? Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures and was buried and rose again the third day. That's the good news. That's the good news that Jesus brought to this world. Jesus came with new life. He told Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So Jesus came with good news. He came with new life, and He came with the Word of God. This message is contained in the Word of God. I met a young man yesterday that, that um, you know, he believes there's a God, but he doesn't believe that God communicates. Well, he's not a very loving God if he doesn't communicate. How can we know an infinite God if He doesn't communicate to us. And He's communicated this good news. He's communicated this new life in the very words of God. 
That's why the Bible says in Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live by bread alone. but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Bread will sustain our lives for a time. But the message contained in the word of God will sustain us for eternity. And so the greatest need of humanity is the message contained in this book. The message that Jesus died for us for our sins and was buried and rose again. And that there's new life in a relationship with Him. God has commissioned those that are possessors of new life to save much people alive. That is our purpose. That is our great purpose. You know, Jesus said, what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul. We live in this world, but much of what we see around us in this world will perish. The only things that will last forever around us are the souls of men and the Word of God. Look at with me at 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. 2 Corinthians 5. We see this commission, this job that he has given us. God has put you in a, in a place of employment. In that place of employment, as God's child, you are to bring glory to God. That's our great purpose, is to bring glory to God. And to influence those around you for Jesus Christ. God has put you in a neighborhood to bring glory to God and to point other people to Jesus Christ. God has put you in a family to bring glory to God and to point other people to Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse number 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ... He is a new creature. I heard a, I heard a, I heard a salvation testimony before church. It, 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 exciting salvation. Every salvation testimony is excited, exciting. And I talked to Erin this morning. I asked her when she got saved. She got, said, I got saved like 40 years ago, more than 40 years ago in in China. And she had a school, um, she had a friend who knew a school teacher who, who went to prison in the early 80s in China because he was preaching the gospel to his students. And after he got out, when he went to prison, they beat him and they broke his leg and he could hardly walk when he got out of prison. But someone took Aaron to meet this preacher. Her and her friend met this preacher. He was an old man. Um, when he got out of prison, um, he had no job. They wouldn't let him have his job back. But, but somehow, her and her friend went and saw this preacher, and he 
he told them to get on their knees. And for one hour, he preached the gospel while they were on their knees. And then he said, you need to repent. And they repented and they asked Jesus to save them. And you know what? They never saw that, they never saw that preacher again. But a new life began in her heart. A new life began in her heart. And folks, when, when we accept Christ, a miracle happens inside us and a change begins to happen. We become new creatures. All things become new. And then verse 18 says, And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. How do we get reconciled to God? How does our relationship with God be repaired? It's repaired through the finished work of Jesus Christ, through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And it says, And it hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. And so when, when you think of gospel and goodies, it's in this context. You are a new creature in Christ. Christ has saved you. He's made you a new creature. Your, your, your sins are under the blood of Christ. You've been given the righteousness of Christ. You've got this miracle happening on the inside of you. And you're surrounded with people in this world that have never experienced the life-giving power of Jesus Christ. They're separated from God. And God has given you the job of bringing those people to Jesus Christ. The ministry of reconciliation. Joseph is a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ. And he's a beautiful picture of what our lives should be all about. If we are going to save much people alive, if we are going to be effective as soul winners, if we are going to be effective in this ministry of reconciliation, number one, we need to be like Jesus. We need to be like Jesus. Joseph is a beautiful type of Jesus Christ. For example, Joseph was the beloved son of his father, and Jesus is the beloved son of God the Father. Joseph was hated by his brethren and betrayed by them. Sold, I believe, for 20 pieces of silver. Jesus was betrayed by one of his closest disciples, by Judas. And he was sold for 30 pieces of silver. Joseph resisted temptation in his life, just as Jesus resisted temptation. Joseph was the, savior, was the Savior from the famine. And Jesus is the Savior of the world. Joseph was ready and he was able to save much people alive. Why? Well, because he was obedient. He was obedient. He was elevated to be prime minister when he was 30 years old. There were seven years of plenty. So when he was 37 years old, the famine began, and he was ready to save much people 
alive. Everyone in this room that names the name of Christ has experienced new life. You've been given the ministry of reconciliation. But you're only going to be an effective uh, in, this, in, this, in, this, in this job of, of soul winning, if, in this job of reconciling, if we're obedient. When you look at Joseph's life, he was obedient to his father. When he lived in Potiphar's house, he was obedient to Potiphar. When he was thrown in jail, he was obedient to the jailer. And then when he became prime minister of Egypt, he was obedient to Pharaoh. You know, Jesus was obedient to his heavenly Father. And if we're going to be effective in this ministry of reconciliation, if we are going to save much people alive, obedience needs to characterize our life. Joseph was also pure. He resisted temptation. When he worked in Potiphar's house, he had a grand opportunity to have a, an illicit affair with Potiphar's wife. But you know what he did? He ran. He ran from the temptation. He was falsely accused. And he was thrown into jail. But he went to jail with a clean conscience. As God's children, we must realize that we are pure through Jesus Christ. Look at 1 Corinthians, back a few pages, 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 9. You may say, Pastor, I, I haven't been that pure. The, the, the wonderful thing about Joseph's testimony in, in the book of Genesis is he has an impeccable testimony. You can't find any, any stains really on his life. And the Bible is a very honest book. It, 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 shows, it shows the stains of the greatest heroes in the Word of God. It shows the failures of Samson and the failures of David and the failures of Noah. You say, you say well, Pastor, I line up more with those guys than I do with, um, with Joseph. But I want you to see here, in Jesus Christ, look what he does. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God, and such were some of you, but ye are washed. But ye are sanctified, ye are set apart. But ye are justified, just as if you've never sinned, in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Joseph was able to save much people alive because... He was obedient because he was pure. But this morning you must realize in Jesus Christ, you are pure. 
And if we are going to save much people alive, we must strive to live purely to reflect the forgiveness that we have found in Jesus Christ. Look at 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 18. <clears throat> when you are made a new creature, you still live this new life in an old body. The Bible calls this body the flesh. And the flesh is capable of all its old behaviors. That's why in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 18 it says, flee fornication. When this miracle of, new, of the new birth happens in your soul, guess what? Um, you don't become a moral zombie. You still get to make moral choices. You still get to choose to do right or to do wrong. And that's why it says flee fornication. Every, man that, every, every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. Flee fornication. If we are going to be effective at saving much people alive, we're going to need to be obedient and we're going to need to live pure lives we're also going to need to patiently endure trials. Jo Joseph endured 13 years of deep trials before he was elevated to be the prime minister. And in God's, in, in God's program of, of preparing people for this ministry of reconciliation, it often involves trials. And Joseph was patient through those trials. We also know of Joseph that he was wise. God gave him a wisdom. And what is the secret to wisdom? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Where did he get his wisdom from? He got it from God. And where does that begin? It begins with a fear of God. We also see in James 1.5, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not. Wisdom is a gift from God to those that are humble enough to admit, I need God's help. I need God's wisdom. We also see Joseph... He was able to save much people alive because he was spirit-filled. Over and over and over in Genesis, when it's talking about Joseph, it says the Lord was with him. And we see those parallel truths in the New Testament where Jesus said, without me, ye can do nothing. You've got to be plugged into Christ. You've got to be depending on Him if you're going to be effective in reaching and effective in saving much people alive. He was humble. He was humble. He always gave credit to God for the skills and gifts that God gave him. These are the qualities that enabled Joseph to save much people alive. 
There's another big point that I have no time for this morning. I'll mention it and we'll come back to it next week. To save much people alive, we need to exchange less important things for the most important things. We see this in Genesis chapter 47. What did they need more than anything? They needed bread. And when they brought their less important things to Joseph, God gave them the most important things. And we'll look at that truth next week. But God has called us to this ministry of reconciliation. And He wants us to save much people alive. I believe if we follow the example of Joseph, God can use us this Christmas season and throughout our lives to impact people for the cause of Christ. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Maybe you're here today and you're not saved. You've never received the bread of life. You've never believed on Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You've never experienced that miracle of the new birth. If you're here today and, and you need to be saved, Jesus says, or the Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jesus died for you. He was buried. He rose again. He wants to forgive you of your sins. The Bible says if you'll call on Him, He will save you. And church, church family, those who've experienced the life-changing power of Jesus, would you ask the Lord to help you to save much people alive, to bring this gospel message to many people? Father, thank you. Thank you for letting us be together this morning. And our time is running low. Uh, but Lord, help us to meditate on these truths. And Lord, help us to ask you that you would use us to save much people alive. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. The piano is going to play just for a minute. You can remain seated.